to turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter number 6. Hebrews chapter number 6. Uh, <coughs> want to be able to help you today. Uh, he asked me a question that I had trouble with years ago. And it's because I listened to a bunch of people use the Bible against me. Amen. And uh, we got to understand what the Bible is. Amen. Number one, I believe the King James Bible is 100% the perfect word of God. Amen. I believe there's no mistakes in that book. That's right. And, and I believe this Bible 100% is the very words of God for. Amen. And now when you take books like these, the diff different ones, amen, they're not the word of God. Nope. They're counterfeits. And they change it. And uh, we can't we can't allow, amen, Bible doctrine to be interpreted by people that don't believe the book. Right. You understand what I'm saying? So we got to understand that when they're preaching and they're teaching things, they're preaching and teaching from a standpoint of unbelief, not believing the very words of God. It's not so much what it means, but what does it say. Right. Right? And people don't like what it says, so we have to change it. Hebrews chapter number 6, watch this. Verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to what? Perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance, from dead works and a faith towards God, and of the doctrine of what? Baptisms, notice it's plural, and of laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. This we will do if God would. Permit, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened Comma, and have tasted the heavenly gift, comma, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, comma, and have tasted the good word of God, comma, and the powers of the world to come, comma, if they shall fall away, comma, to renew them again on the repentance, seeing they crucify themselves, the Son of God afresh, and put into an open shame. Now, the question is, is people are using this passage of Scripture to prove that a Christian, a person that's been saved, born again, washed in the blood, a child of God, a son of God, part of the body of Christ, which is his bride, can lose their salvation. Amen? I want you to show you something. Hebrews chapter number 1. Hebrews chapter number 1. The epistle of Paul, right? The apostle to who? Who's it written to? The Hebrews. And that's not, it's not written to the body of Christ. It's written to Hebrews. And what we got to understand is that when God writes something, amen, he writes things specifically to a certain group of people. Right? Right? Hebrews, from here to Revelation, mainly covers this period of time. This is the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. This is the Great Tribulation. This period, amen, we call it the Tribulation period. Tribulation. But this is the Great Tribulation. It's a time of uh, Jacob's trouble, 
right? Right. It's also called the end. It's a period of time called the end, and it's Daniel's 70th week, a prophecy. And that's a seven-year period of time. And we, we don't have time to go into everything about all that because what I'm trying to teach you today in 45 minutes, uh, it takes years to be able to comprehend. This is a period of time that God is talking about. This is dealing, the book of Hebrews is dealing with the Jews in this period of time. Okay? Let me ask you a question. When was Jesus born? Well, that's what the world says. Okay? Technically, he was born September 23rd, all right? And he was born September 23rd. What was the year when he was born? Zero. Zero. Really wasn't a year, was there? Right? Right? He was born, he was born in zero, right? Time. You know, some people say it's four, our calendar off four years, so they say four years B.C., you know, minus four B.C. But technically, time was zero. Everybody's birthday revolves around that day. All time. You, you read a newspaper today, May 20, what, 4th, right? 2015, guess what? That revolves around the day he was born, right? All time and everything revolves around that, okay? How many years later did this Calvary take place? It took, it took, it took place 33 years later, didn't it? 33 and a half years later. Everybody says the 33 and a third because they're going from December. If they go from September, right, to March, April, it's a half. It's a half a year. So he's three, three and a half years old when he dies, right? So everything's there. Now, where's the Old Testament in? Zero? Nope. Old Testament ends right here at Matthew 27, 50. Okay? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 9 that after the death of a testator, when Christ dies, Okay, he dies. Matthew 7, 27, 50, he gives up the ghost. Right. The Bible says about John the Baptist when he started his ministry over here, he said the law was until John, right? And then Jesus fulfills it right out here. So technically, the Old Testament, everything that Jesus did up to this point is what? Old Testament. And so when you're reading through the book of Matthew, you're reading through the book of Mark, you're reading through the book of Luke, and technically you're reading through the book of John, you're reading Old Testament events. Right? Amen. And 69th week, the Bible says the Messiah was cut off at the 69th week, according to Daniel chapter number 9. So he dies the 69th week, not for his sins, but the sins of the world he dies for, the transgressions of us and the Jews. Right? So they enter in, Daniel's 70th week. You with me? You got to understand where we're at time-wise when we're stuck because we're going to have to figure out how our Bible lays out. And once we know how it lays out, we know where we're going, right? So the Daniel's 70th week started, right? Then the Holy Spirit comes down and baptizes people into Christ in what chapter? In the book of Acts. Acts, let's just spell it A-X, Acts 2, because that's where everybody cuts their spiritual throat. It's on in the book of Acts. Acts 2, 50 days later, Pentecost. Today's Pentecost. You understand? Today's Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit of God came down and baptized people into Christ. Right? We're still in Daniel's 70th week. They keep going. 
The church begins. The church starts. They have a confrontation in Acts 7. You understand? They stone Stephen. You have 220 days of this period of time fulfilled. Back here to when they stoned Stephen. Right? The Holy Ghost stops. In Acts 8, an Ethiopian eunuch is saved. An individual. Up to this point, you're dealing with the nation of Israel. When did the nation of Israel start? It started in Genesis 12 with Abraham. God called out Abraham. He's the Hebrew. Right? And then he had two sons, one from the flesh and one by the spirit and promise, which is Isaac. And then Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob founded a group of people with the 12 patriarchs called Israel. Israel, at this point, in Acts chapter number 7, God takes Israel, right? He's got Israel. He's dealing with the nation of Israel. The Gentiles ain't even nowhere in the picture. He's dealing with one group of people. He's dealing with the nation of Israel. And you know what? He takes Israel, according to Romans chapter number 15 or 11, he sets them aside. And then when he sets them aside, an individual saved, right? An Ethiopian eunuch. He's a Hamite. He's a black man. And then in Acts chapter number 9, a, Shem, or a Shemite, yeah, a yellow-skinned man gets saved by the name of Apostle Paul, an individual. Then you get Cornelius saved, right? And you get Cornelius saved in Acts chapter number 10. You got Ham, Shem, and Japheth, which represents the three sons of Noah getting born. Again, into the family of God. When Christ died on the cross, they had three languages written over his head. Greek, Hebrew, and what? Latin. <laughs> Latin for the African. Amen. Hebrew for the Jew. And uh, Greek for the, the Tab. You understand? Represents those three races. And next thing you know, you go from a corporate nation, national salvation, to individual salvation. And from there on out, you have a period of time that's called the church age. Yep. And now you're dealing with the church age, the body of Christ. And from, the, from here to here, amen, the scriptures that are for the church is Romans to Philemon. Amen. And that's where the body of Christ, that's the doctrines that we get for the body of Christ. So everybody that wants to teach and preach to you, you can lose your salvation, are dealing with scriptures over here from Matthew, which are scriptures technically over here. The kingdom of heaven is likened on to what? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. 31 times, or 32 times in 31 verses, the phrase kingdom of heaven shows up. It's a literal, physical, earthly kingdom where Jesus Christ will rule and reign from a throne in heaven. So everybody that wants to believe you can lose your salvation aren't dealing with the church age. They're not dealing with the church. They're dealing with the kingdom. Right. Totally different. Totally yeah. different period of time. Totally different group of people. When the church winds up going up at the rapture, amen, we get raptured up, God goes back to deal with Israel. This is the time of Jacob's trouble. He comes back and says, all right, Israel, where'd we, pick, where'd we leave off at? And he picks right back up where he's dealing with Israel. Right. And now God goes back to deal with that Jew. You're in the book of Hebrews. You know what Hebrews is? He's dealing with Hebrews. Let me give you something here. There's three books in your Bible to transition. Okay, you got Matthew, all right, you got Acts, you got Hebrews. Every, every one of these books is where all the heretics get their heresy from. Matthew, you're going from Old Testament 
the New Testament. Right? You're, there's a transition. Something has happened here. It's changing. Everything's changing. You start off the book of Acts with Peter, the head apostles, with signs and wonders in Jerusalem. You end up the book of Acts with Apostle Paul leading by faith and faith alone. You understand that signs and wonders have disappeared. Something has transpired. Something has changed. There's a transition. It's a bridge from one to the other. The book of Acts takes you from law to grace. You're going from Old Testament law into New Testament grace. You understand? You're going from a nation of Israel to the Gentiles. It's a big change. Everything's changing. People don't see the transition. Then what do you do here? You go from the church back to the Jews. You understand? God goes to deal with one nation. And that one nation winds up, a, a remnant gets saved. Revelation chapter 12. Israel is there. That's a picture of Israel not married. And it's Israel that gets saved. Uh, a remnant, a man child is born forth in that tribulation period. And the Bible says, can a nation be saved in a day? Isaiah 66, 8. And that nation gets saved in that day, in that period of time. They get born again on one day. What you get individually, Israel gets in corporately. Did you see over there in Ezekiel 37 where foot bones connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bones connected to the shin bone, shin bones connected to the thigh bone, blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, up stands a great mighty army and the muscles and sinews appear on that thing and then the Holy Spirit breathes and they get raised up in one day. A nation born in one day. What we get, what Israel rejected corporately, we get individually. What we get individually, they will in a tribulation get corporately. Amen. Yes. Must understand how that thing's working through the scriptures. If we don't understand how it's working through the scriptures, then when we approach our Bible, we're going to have our Bible all mixed up. Listen, not everything in the Bible is written to you. Right. It's all written for you, but it's not all written to you. This is somebody else's mail. Ain't my mail. Hebrews chapter 6 is not my mail. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 6. I want to show you something. <laughs> Verse 4. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have what? Tasted the heavenly gift. What is the, what is the heavenly gift? <laughs> what is it? I mean, you, you got to understand what the heavenly gift is. If you don't understand what the heavenly gift is, No, it's not. Not in Hebrews. How did God feed Israel in the, in the, in the wilderness? Huh? He fed them with manna, didn't he? Right? And they went out every day and they soon actually ate the manna. And it came from heaven. It rained from heaven, didn't it? Right? And it appeared on the ground. Right? Now, God took the manna away. Now, Israel, they're going to they're gonna divide the West Bank. They're going to divide... They're going to cleanse the West Bank. They're going to wind up dividing Jerusalem here shortly. They're going to part God's land, right? Yep. When they part that land, they're going to force them Jews out of Judea and Samaria, and they're going to force them out of half of Jerusalem, and they're going to wind up going down to the negative, but technically they're going to go to a place over there called Selapik. And they're going to wind up being supernaturally sustained by God. And the Bible talks about Leviathan, that great red dragon that's got seven heads. And God smites Leviathan, and they eat of the of Leviathan, manna from, provided from God, and the God supernaturally sustains them through this period of time while the son of perdition is ruling and reigning from the throne in Jerusalem. 
And God supernaturally feeds them through the uh, slaying of Leviathan's head. You understand? And they partake of heavenly food. God is supernaturally sustaining them. And if you read Ezekiel chapter number 9, the son of man shows up. The man with white linen shows up. And when he shows up, he takes a writer's ink horn. And he writes the seal of God in their forehead. The devil's got a mark on people, doesn't he? Mark of the beast. Well, he's going to take and put a seal in their forehead. There's 144,000 of them in the book of Revelation, 12,000 men from each tribe. He writes a seal in their forehead. You understand? And so he comes down and he makes a mid-trib appearance to Israel. And there is a mid-trib rapture, yep. as well as a church-age rapture. Amen. Revelation chapter number 11, somebody goes up. In Revelation 4, the church goes up. Revelation 4, somebody goes up. The two witnesses go up. We're back to dealing with Israel. The focus is on Israel, and more of that, it's on Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ supernaturally sustains it, and now that Jew is eating of that heavenly gift that God is providing them, and they're supernaturally being sustained in a place called Selah, Petra, or Petra. Amen. When you read the book of Psalms over there, it says Selah, 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 Selah. It appears in 2 Kings. It appears in Habakkuk, chapter number 3. It appears 73 times in your scriptures. 69 in the book of Psalms. And that Selah Petra, every time you see Selah Petra, you're dealing with the second advent. You're dealing with this period of time right there. Amen? But when you're reading Hebrews 6 over here, they are now physically, supernaturally being sustained. They have tasted the heavenly gift. Watch it. And we're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. They have an opportunity to be able to get saved and put faith in Jesus Christ and they must endure to the end. They must be baptized according to Acts chapter number 2 in Jesus' name. They must turn around and keep works for part of their salvation. Take care of that Jew, Matthew chapter number 25. He that done it on the least of these, my brother, right, has done it on me. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 25. You know what Matthew 25 is dealing with? Matthew 25, when you get right there, is dealing with the judgment of nations. God is dealing with that Jew on how they took, or how the nations, on how they took care of that Jew during this period of time. Amen? It's called the judgment of nations. Jesus coming back at Armageddon. Up here is where the church goes. They come up here to the judgment seat of Christ. This is where the bride of Christ goes. Right? Then there's a great white throne out over here. Another judgment. You understand? And then there's a judgment right here, judgment of nations. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, he gives the 12 apostles thrones to judge Israel and the kingdom. Jesus comes back, Matthew eleven fifteen. 15, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. When he comes back here, he sits on a throne, and right beside him is King David. Yep. So you got King David, you got, you got uh, King Jesus, the king of kings, and then you got the 12 apostles ruling from the, they're going to judge Israel. But that's all based on works. All this right here is a faith and work system. Here is just a work system because you don't have to have faith. When he's sitting right there in front of you and you know he's here on earth, right? Right? Faith and works. It's a period of time. You know what it is back here? It's a faith and work system. What's it through this period of time? Faith and works. Amen. He did all the work. Right? 
gave me the faith. It's a gift of God. <laughs> you understand? Totally different salvation in the church age. Totally different salvation in Old Testament. Totally Amen. different salvation right here. It's a faith and works system. Amen. With that in mind, let's go to Acts chapter number 15. He did all the work. He paid for it all on Calvary, right? He gave me the gift of God. He said, here's eternal life. You can have eternal life. It's 100% based upon what I've done on Calvary to die for your sins. He fulfilled the law. He took it out of the way. He offers us it a free gift, right? And I took that free gift. And when I received Christ, I received what kind of life? Eternal life, everlasting life. It's not based upon what I do or what I don't do. It's based yeah. on whether I receive him or I don't receive him. That's right. And when I received him by faith, I have eternal life. Amen. Period. It ain't based on how I live. It's based on how he lived. Amen. <laughs> he lived it. I can't. Nobody can right. live Their salvation is based on how they live it. Whether they take the mark of the beast or don't take the mark of the beast. And if they've been eating the good word of God and living over there, see the pizza, and they can't handle the pressure, they run to the Antichrist, and they go over there and accept him and take his mark, they lost it. That's what Hebrews 6 is dealing with. Amen? Acts chapter number 15. Acts chapter number 15. There's a controversy in the church. People don't understand how things are happening, how things are transpiring, Right? So we're, we're midway in the book of Acts here in verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be what? Circumcised. What is circumcision? It's a work, ain't it? It's something they must do. After the manner of Moses, you cannot what? You see what they're doing in the church? They're trying to teach you that you must do something in order to, right. to get eternal life. Right. Works. These men are coming and saying, Listen, the shed blood of Jesus Christ ain't enough. You must be circumcised. You must keep the law. You must do something. That's a controversy that's in the church. Yeah. Verse 5. Well, let's read right on. Verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas, wherefore, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small disputation, I mean, they were uh, dissension and disputation. They were arguing big time. This was red-faced, blue blue face, veins bulging in their face. All these apostles and disciples are arguing. It wasn't a small dissension and disputation. It was a big one. They're arguing, screaming, hollering at each other. <laughs> right? And with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on by the way of the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversions of the Gentiles, uh, and they caused great joy unto the brethren. And when they were coming to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and declared all the things God had done with it. And when there rose up, search sake of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and command them to do what? Keep the law of Moses. So now Paul's telling, hey, everybody, all these Gentiles out here get saved. They're putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're getting born again. And they said, wait a minute. Now you've got to command them. They've got to get circumcised, and they've got to keep the law of Moses. Now you've got to do something to stay saved. See, they're teaching two heresies. You got to do something to get saved, and then in verse five, they're teaching you you got to do something to stay saved. Works, 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 works. So you know how Paul solves that, don't you? All these people that say you got to do something to get saved, he wrote the Book of Romans. Yep. Right. All these people that say you got to do something to stay saved, he wrote the Book of Galatians. 
You know what Galatians is? It's trying to take a born-again Bible-believing Christian and place him back under the law and tell him you got to do the law to stay saved. If you don't stay saved, you'll lose your salvation. That's what they're trying to teach. Galatians was proved, written to prove that you're kept saved by faith, and the book of Romans is to prove that you're justified by faith. Listen, I'm saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God imputed to me his righteousness. He charged me. He gave me his righteousness. It's a free gift. And he said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He'll never charge me with my sin. Why? Because he was charged a cow. Listen, Jesus Christ became sin for us who knew no sin. He died for me. He became a serpent on that cross. He took my sins upon him, nailing it to his cross. He took it out of the way. He took the law out of the way. The stumbling block is gone out of the way. I don't have to keep the law. He kept it for me. You say, well, you got a license to go out and live any way you want. Anybody that's been filled with the Holy Ghost will never want to go out and live the way they want. Amen. And it's not based upon whether I sin or I don't sin. Right? Look what Peter says. Verse 7. When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said, All them men and brethren, you know how a good while ago that God made a choice among us that by the Gentiles, by my mouth, he's talking about Cornelius, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which know their hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did on us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts high by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt you God to put a yoke upon the negative disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as you're saved by grace through this dispensation. This period of time is called church age. It's called the age of grace. That's how you say it. You're saved by placing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving him, and you get eternal life. Let's go to John chapter number 10. John chapter number 10. So we got to understand where we're at and how we're at in the scriptures and how the scriptures are used. And what the world does is they use the scriptures against us. They go to the book of Hebrews dealing with a, with a remnant that's been written to, and they try to read it back into the church age. You're in trouble. They try to take stuff that's written on the Old Testament law that's declaring the kingdom, and they turn around and they try to put me over here in these scriptures. And neither one of them fit for me here. What is written to me? Right? John chapter number 10, verse uh, 27. My sheep hear my voice. There he said, yeah, and I know them, and they what? And I give unto them temporary life. You know, you know what? Listen. Brother Ralph, the best way I can say this, and to me, the way, the way it makes most sense to me, is everybody that you're dealing with, if you want to sum it up and make it simple, they're putting you on probation. They're not pardoning you. When I got saved, I was pardoned. Amen. Everything that I've ever done or could done or will do, I've been pardoned. They're under probation. They're saying that we'll let you off, but... It, we want to watch how you live. And how you live is going to determine whether we put you back in jail or not. So they're on probation. And they got to report their probation officer. I'm not under probation. I've been pardoned. <laughs> I've been cleared. The record against me has been thrown away. My record's clean. It's gone. I'm one with Christ. You know what he did over there? When you, when you read Micah, chapter number 6, when you read Micah over there, he says, you want to understand God's righteousness according to Micah number 6, you got to go back to Balaam. You remember Balaam, that donkey talking in the Bible? And he tried to get, Balak tried to get Balaam to curse Israel. And God said, I ain't beholding no iniquity in Israel. 
God's looking at Israel full sin. He said, I don't behold no nickel. I don't see it. He said, you want to understand the righteousness of God? You got to go back to Baal. What? God blessed Israel. He said, I don't behold no nickel. You need to run along. You know what? You want to understand the righteousness of God? God looks at me. He gives me Christ's righteousness. According to 2 Corinthians 5.21, I've been made the righteous of God. Well, when you look at me, you see Cliff. You see my flesh. You see my old nature. You don't see my new nature. Only by good things that the Holy Ghost does through me, you may get glimpses of my new nature. But all you'll ever see is my old nature. Right? But God, when he looks at me, you don't see my old nature. All he sees is my new nature. He sees me standing in Christ. He sees Christ Jesus. I've been made the righteous of God. That's all God sees. All you see is my old nature. All God sees is my new nature. Well, wait a minute. When God looks back at Calvary, where Christ died on Calvary, all he, he sees the cliff die. He sees Ralph die. He sees Gabriel die. You understand? He sees me nailed to that cross because I'm dead with Christ. Right? Romans chapter 6. I am crucified with Christ. Right? I, I, it's been nailed to the truth. Cliff's been taken care of. Because Christ died for me. He bore not only my sins, but the sin of the world. He can take care. You understand? So he was he became unrighteous to give me his right. There's a swap, there's a trade. We trade righteousness. And so when God looks at me, I'm declared righteous. Look what else it says. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall what? Never perish. There's no parenthesis in there. Right? There, there's no there's 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 no parenthesis there's no there's no little gap in there that sits back and says based upon whether you live it or not he said I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish now watch this neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand how big is that hand that hand spans the heavens <laughs> that hand Goes from one end of the galaxy to the other end of the galaxy. And we're going to jump out of that hand. We're not on his hand. We're in his hand. According to first or Ephesians chapter number five, we're bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. We're one with him. We're bone. We're stuck together. I'm in the body of Christ. Right? And if I'm in Christ, according to Colossians chapter number three, verse three, and Christ is hid where? In God. So if Christ is in God and I'm in Christ, how can the devil or anybody get to me and how can anybody get me out of that? I'm in him forever. Now watch this. this. This is one of the most important things you'll see. Verse 29. My father, which gave them what? Me. You see that? He didn't give him to us. That's right. He gave us me, him. The Bible says over there in 1 John chapter number 5, verse 12, he that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Listen, God offered me Jesus Christ. He said, will you take him? I took him. He came into me. I was immersed by the Spirit of God into him. We're made one. The Bible said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, Christ in you, the hope of the Lord. He came into me through the person of the Holy Ghost. He took me and baptized me into Christ. He took me out of sin and put me into Christ. He took me out of Adam. For an Adam all died. He spiritually took me out of Adam. And he placed me into Christ. I was dead, according to Ephesians 2.1. Dead in trespasses and sins. He took me out of that and he put me into Christ. You understand? And now that I'm in Christ, 
He seals me with that Holy Spirit of promise, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, and Ephesians 4.30. I am sealed. You know what the Bible says in John uh, 6.27? Him who the Father has sealed. He puts a seal on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm in Christ. To destroy me and cause me to lose my salvation, you must destroy Christ. Because my righteousness, my eternal life, and everything is based on Christ. When you take a car title, and you go to a notary, and you place that seal in there, you press it into that document. To destroy that seal, you've got to destroy the document. For me to lose my salvation, you must destroy Jesus Christ. That's why the whole world out there is attacking him, trying to make him a sinner, a blasphemer. That's why they keep trying to find a flaw in that book. That's why they keep trying to find a flaw in mine and your life, because my righteousness, your righteousness, is based on what Christ did. So therefore, they must do away with Christ. That's why they're so hungry for finding one tooth, one bone, one thing about him, so they can say every bit of that's a lie. That's why they're shooting telescopes way out in outer space, trying to look for life somewhere else. Why? To believe that book's alive. Because one day they got to stand before God and give an account of their works. And then ultimately they got to give an account of rejecting his dear son. And when you received his son, you received it all. And to turn around and say, my salvation is based upon whether I say a word or I don't say a word. You want me to show you how easy it would be to lose it if you could lose it? James chapter number 4. James chapter number 4. I receive Christ. I have Christ. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live as long as he does. Amen. Listen, I went out willfully sinned after I was saved, according to Hebrews 10, 26. And guess what? I, I was convinced I lost my salvation. You want to talk about the worst time in your life? <laughs> there ain't nothing like that for you. James chapter number 4, I want to show you. If these people which claim that you can lose your salvation are true, let me show you how easy it would be that these, these folks could never even walk out of the church house. If they got saved at the altar, they'd be lost by the time they got out the door. You want me to show you how? Watch. James chapter number 4, verse 13. He said, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, and we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow, for what is your life? Is even a vapor that appeared for a little time and vanished away? For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. And now you rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is what? Evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not. To him it is sin. So all they got to do is get come down, get saved, get born again, tell the preacher, hey, preacher, see you Sunday. Walk out the door. He done sin. Yep. He didn't say, Lord will, preacher, I'll see you Sunday. See how simple that be? Right in the context, he knows to do good, doeth it not. To him it is. And God says, you should say, Lord will. Honey, I'm going to Kroger's. Lord will, and I'm, I'll go to Kroger's and come back. You understand? That's how simple it would be. Let me show you another way. James chapter number 2. James chapter number 2. Verse 8. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor thyself, ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, ye commit what? Every one of us do that. Yep. There ain't a person on the face of the earth. Well, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't murder anybody. Yeah, there's two commandments they claim they can keep. I talked to a guy that believed he can live it. He didn't commit adultery. He didn't murder. <laughs> hey, man, he thinks his righteousness is by wearing long sleeves. It's a joke. He's based, I said, I said, you know what it is? I said, it's Joe and Joe's holy living. I said, really? I said, you don't even believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. You believe Joe's got to live it. And if Joe don't live it, he ain't going to make it. Every person that tells you you can lose your salvation... They're a proud Pharisee that believes that they can live it. 
and something they do. Listen, I have respect respect a person. I guarantee you, I respect my children more than I respect yours. And you'll respect yours more than you'll respect mine. And I respect my wife more than, you, than I will yours. And you'll respect your wife more than you'll respect mine. It's just the way it is. And you know what? They, they're all always caught up on prejudice and everything. Listen, everybody's prejudiced. Everybody. Somewhere, somehow, somewhat. And you better be. And you better, you better have some dis, uh, discrimination. You better be able to discriminate a green light from a red light and a yellow light. You better be able to know the difference between salt and sugar. Every one of us need to discriminate. We need to have discernment. But every one of us, everyone, bar none, when this country was founded, you know what they did? They got Chinatown. They got Italians. They got Polacks. They got Blacks. They got Indians. Everybody goes to their own kind. And you know what? They're all trying to make us one. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. And because we're, that's a natural tendency in mankind, they think that's some kind of taboo. And therefore, we all must be the same. We all must be gray. We all must drive the same car. We all must eat at the same restaurant. It's not fair that you're an individual and want to wear a blue shirt when everybody else is supposed to be wearing red. And therefore, they're mad at you and they discriminate and have respect of persons. You understand what I'm saying? Listen, it's a natural thing. It's natural. And uh, people, they're trying to force us to go against nature. I'm not saying that I ought to hate some other race, and I hate their culture. I hate the way they're behaving. But if they want to change the way they behave, and they want to act right and do right and be an upstanding citizen, hey, you're my brother. But if they want to act like an idiot, and they want to destroy my property, there's a place that's got bars that you can spend the rest of your life in. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Right? And there's other cultures. You want to take what's mine, they'll chop your hand off. What are they trying to tell you? You leave somebody else's stuff alone. It's not that they hated the individual. They hate the crime that they committed. I hate drinking. I don't want to be living next to a bunch of people that want to party and smoke dope. I don't care what color their skin is. I don't want to dance at 2 o'clock in the morning and shouting and raising up their Harley engines and racing or burning tires out in front of my house while I'm trying to get some sleep. You understand what I'm saying? I don't care if they're yellow, black, or white. I don't like that kind of living. So I choose to stay away from that kind of living. You understand? So what they're doing is they're trying to mess with it. But you got to understand you're dealing with Jews. James chapter 1. Look at James 1. <laughs> verse 1. James 1 verse 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to who? Twelve tribes. That's not written in the church. James is written to the 12 tribes, which are what? Scattered. Scattered abroad. It's written to Israel. Yep. And then it says, verse 2, my what? So a bunch of Christians and a bunch of preachers, and I've heard them say, who's James written to? It says, brethren. <laughs> you, better, you better be careful. Yep. You take a black guy from Detroit, meet a black guy in New Orleans, and they cross to each other's path in Mississippi. They'll say, hey, brother. And they ain't physically related. They're calling each other brother because they got the same color skin. You you sit back and you put two guys on motorcycles. You put one guy, just a street guy, riding a riding a gold one. Then you get a Hell's Angel or or a outlaw motorcycle guy come by, and they give each other some kind of sign, and they kind of fist pump each other, and point to each other like you're in the brotherhood, you're in the biker brotherhood. <laughs> Amen. They're brothers, but they're not physically brothers, but they have a brotherhood. Right? Here you're talking to the 12 tribes, which are brethren. Israel, a nation of Israel. 
You got the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Judah, and the, the Levites, and the and the Naphtalites, and, and the Benjaminites. They're brethren from one family. That's who he's talking about. He's not talking to the church. And here's something else you got to remember. There's three uh, applications of Scripture. Amen? You have a historical application right David killed Goliath that's historical right David went in and slept with Bathsheba that's historical right Adam and Eve that's historical then you have a doctrine act amen who it applies to what I'm showing you about James and Hebrews and that, that applies to Israel there doctrinally then you have a spiritual application Amen. How, what lessons can I learn and apply to my life from their life? You understand? You know, Amnon had a friend. His name was Jonadab. And he encouraged him to go in and rape his half-sister. What can I learn from that? Spiritually, I can learn. You better choose your friends carefully. You better watch who your children's friends are. You understand? And I can learn all kinds of lessons how David treated every one of those situations in his four children after he committed adultery. There's lessons that I can learn from that. But doctrinally, that's a picture of Israel committing adultery against God. Ezekiel chapter number 16. And so we have to understand, Israel's God's wife, the church is Christ's wife. Totally different. You, you can't put them together. You know what a seven-day Adventist does? A seven-day Adventist turns around and takes Israel, amen, and he takes Israel and he blends it yeah. with the church because they say God's done and he, and, and he makes the church, church the new Israel. And they take all those Old Testament promises and they blend it all together. And then all these new Bibles come in and they start saying, this is all of God, this is all of God, and, and this is of God, and we got to get all this junk. And so what they do is they put it in a blender and they spin it all out, and then they give you all this stuff, and none of it's practical or scriptural or feasible for a Christian today. Right. They don't want to lay it out. They don't want to sit back and see. Every verse you'll find about causing you to lose your salvation is in Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews, and, and, and they're dealing with this period of time or this period of time right. or they're putting you back under the law in the Old Testament. But when you go through Romans to Philemon, let's go to Galatians. I'll show you real quick. This is the main one they use in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. I'll show you what they try to do. And the bottom line is, is they're trying to read. You can lose your salvation. That woman sitting behind you, Miss Cindy, her son uh, Dax, went with these fellows and run with these fellows, he calls them grace followers because they use this passage of Scripture. And that church right across the highway there are grace followers. They believe that you can be saved, born again, washed in the blood, but they believe you can fall from grace. Well, let's see what that terminology means according to Pauline epistle. Right? Let's go to Galatians chapter number 5. Let's read verse 4. Christ has become of no effect on you, whosoever you are justified by the law, you're falling from what? See, you can lose it. It's what they say. And they take that little phrase, you're falling from grace, and they remove it off the passage over there, they preach, and they go to all them verses in Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews, and they'll go in there and try to show you you can lose your salvation, and they try to put it on a child of God in the church age, 
And uh, they create a doctrine there, and they won't deal with the passage. Yeah. Let's look at the passage, verse 1. Stand, therefore, amen, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty that wherewith Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again with what? Yoke of bondage, you're dealing with the law. Behold, I say unto you, that if ye be, what? Circumcised, Christ shall, what? Probably none. For I test again, every man that is circumcised is a debtor to do what? You know what you got to do? If you want to be circumcised, you want to place yourself back under the law, you better live the law. Because if you're seeking justification by the law, you better never, ever, 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 ever offend that law in one place. Because the Bible says in James 2.10, if you offend in one point, you're what? Guilty of all. So you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to place Christians back under the law. Paul said, oh, you want to be circumcised? You want to get back under the law? You better do the whole law. <laughs> Not just pick and choose what you want. That's what these clowns do. They pick and choose whatever they want. You want to get under the law? You better keep it all. Guess what? You can't. You haven't, and therefore you won't. And so you better find somebody to save. Look at what it says. You bet you're a debtor to do the whole law. Verse 4, Christ become no effect on you, whosoever you're what? Justified by the law. Are you seeking to be justified by Christ? Or are you seeking to be justified by what you do? That's the ticket. That's why people don't want to go to Paul. And that's the verses they're trying to use to show you that you can lose your salvation under Paul. And that what it is, is they're going back here. Placing you back under the law to tell you you can't live it and keep it. And so therefore, you've lost it. They're robbing you of your joy. They're robbing you of your faith. Because listen, I got Christ's righteousness here. He saved me. I'm going to heaven. Based on what he did and what I've done with him. Paul sums it all up in Acts 20, 21. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. If you'll turn to God and be sorry for your sin and what you've done against him and receive his son to pay me for your sins, you got eternal life. And it's forever. And nothing, nobody can take it away from you. But it's right here. It's coming through the church age. This is written to people, the book of Galatians, that people are trying to put them back under the law. And every one of these preachers, every one of these people to get on the radio and get on television and tell you you can lose your salvation, that it go right here, they're trying to put you back under the law. You, you see it? And they're taking verses that belong here and putting it here. They're taking verses that belong here and they're putting it here. They're taking verses that belong here and putting it here. And they're not believing what Paul wrote to us. I'm justified by his faith. I have everlasting life. You know what makes John different? It's written in, it's written in 86 AD. It's written 20, 30 years after Pauline Revelation. That's why John don't line up with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synopsis, synoptic gospel. They're similar. But then you got over there John stands alone. And you got John, believe, 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 believe. Now, them other guys do that. Why? Because he's got Pauline revelation. And you know what? You end up with Paul being the head apostle. And you end up him preaching the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ and repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you go right off into the church and Paul's the head apostle. Paul becomes a minister to circumcision. According to Romans chapter number 15, Jesus Christ ministered to circumcision. That's the Jews. Right? And then Paul's ministered to uncircumcision. You get to Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, Peter, James, and John are ministers of circumcision to the Jews. Paul's ministered to uncircumcision. Paul, Galatians chapter 1, got a special revelation that nobody gave him. Peter, he didn't get it from Peter, didn't get it from James, didn't get it from Thomas. 
He didn't get it from he got it strictly from Jesus Christ after he got born. And so Paul's got a revelation that he had wound up having to teach the apostles and everybody. And God had to change Peter's mind because in Acts chapter number 10, it's totally different than Acts chapter number 2. But Peter didn't want him to do the Gentiles. And Peter said, hey, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin. He gets over that. He, he's wanting to lay hands on him because he believed he had to lay hands on him. In Acts chapter 10, and he's thinking that they had to get the Holy Ghost. and They couldn't get him until he laid hands on him after he baptized in Jesus' name. They get saved. He goes, man, who can forbid water? They got the Holy Ghost just like we got it. And he never touched them. He never put them under water and never said, baptize in the name of Jesus. you got churches all around here. It's got Acts 2.38 for a plan of salvation this morning. And you know what? They're going to die and go to hell because they're trying to take a Jewish promise to a bunch of people that's in, that is in Daniel's seventh week. And they're messed up. The Catholic Church believes it. The Mormons believe it. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe it. There's a bunch of them going right over here in the Daniel's seventh week trying to get saved by being baptized in Jesus' name and put baptismal immersion with it. But then when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 17, he said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Baptism and the gospel is totally separate. Baptism is not part of the gospel. And you know what? So many churches are trying to get people baptismally immersed. And every one of them guys that believe you've got to be baptized to get saved, they believe you've got to live it, you've got to keep it, and you won't know you're saved until you get up to heaven because it's on a point system. We must score points, and he that has the most points wins. And we got to stack it up, our good versus our bad. <laughs> Goners, we can't make I can't live it. Nobody can live it. Amen? She asked her preacher when she got saved, she goes, what sin do you got to commit to lose it? Everyone will boil it down, adultery or murder. That's what they do. They got to they gotta, they gotta pick the sins that they think that they can keep, and, they gotta, and, and the ones that they commit bad crimes. But they won't see that if you faint at one point, you're guilty of all. Right? The Bible says, lest an evil heart of unbelief enter in and depart from the Lord. And, and, and they all base their losing your salvation on sins that you commit. Let me ask you a question. What about sins you omit? Christ, the Bible says, Ralph, you need to love her as Christ loved church and gave himself for her. Do you love her as Christ loved church? Well, I guess you can't make it in, right? <laughs> She's supposed to submit to me as on the Lord. Do you always submit to me as on the Lord? But see, they all want to base it on murder. You understand what I'm saying? A big crime. A big sin. The Bible says men ought to always pray. Do we always pray? Do we doubt? Do we worry? Do we fear? I mean, listen, it, it, we can blow it real quick. I mean, if it's based on us, we're all sunk. It's either he, he, I got in the boat. I got, he put, he placed me in him. And he sealed me up. And I'm hidden in him. There ain't nothing I can do to get out of it. And then I can't even get into the doctrine right now, but the doctrine of spiritual circumcision, Colossians chapter number two, he took the sword of the word of God and he cut my soul loose from my flesh. Right. He regenerated my dead spirit. And now I'm alive. And he took my sins and he nailed them to the cross, taking it out of the way, forgiving me of all transgressions. Not just the ones that I committed up to the point I received Christ. He forgave me of all transgressions. And that's why I believe in eternal security. And then when people turn around, they want to blaspheme me for believing the book. <laughs> Listen, they can't live it. They're trying to live it. They can't. That's the whole bottom line. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to speak this morning. I hope something I said today helped a little bit in Jesus' name. Amen.